Welcome to the Momentum Podcast. Our hope is to fill you with the light and life that are found in Jesus so you can shine in the world around you. A great next step if you'd like to grow in your faith is connecting to a community. We would love to help you connect at Momentum. For more information, visit MomentumSanDiego.com. Again, that's MomentumSanDiego.com. We hope you enjoy the message. All right, I'm going to need a little bit of crowd participation for this next part, okay? Yeah, that's good. Yeah, you can cheer. That's not, that's not what I meant, but yeah, well, I'll take it. I'll take it. I'll take it. Uh, just simply by a show of hands, okay? Just by a show of hands. If a prophet has ever come into your home and anointed you as the next king of Israel, raise your hand. Okay, not a lot. Okay. Um, if you have ever stood face to face with a giant and the fate of your entire nation depended upon whether or not he killed you or you killed him, raise your hand. Okay. If you have ever suffered and wondered why, raise your hand. Okay, good. Okay, good. So we've got some common ground that we can work with today. So for the last four or five weeks, we've been walking through the series called God's Movement, My Life. And we've been looking at the life of David. And we've said, if you look at the life of David, you see this pattern start to emerge that is honestly found in most people's lives. It's in a lot of the characters in the Bible, and it's in a lot of our lives as well. And you start to see this pattern emerge. And there's these, basically these four stages that God takes David through and God takes us all through. There's an awareness where David starts to realize that there is a call on his life, that God has a purpose for him. And we said that this is true of all of us, that like sometimes there will be a moment and a time when we realize that God is trying to do something in our life, and we become aware of it. Then we said that there's this stage called refining, where after the awareness, it seems that we enter a stage where we suffer where God is molding and shaping us into the people that we need to become. And then we said after that, we enter a stage called real work, where our ideas about what we thought God had for us are actually a little bit more mature, a little bit more seasoned. And then we enter a stage called flourishing, where other people benefit from what God has done for us. Now, here's the deal. I spend a lot of time in Kid City, and so I want to use the example of the Lion King because I think it makes a lot of sense if you know the Lion King. Has anybody here ever seen the original cartoon version of the Lion King? Okay. Anybody seen the live action remake? Anybody ever seen the Broadway production? That's actually really amazing if you ever get a chance to go do it. But in the movie The Lion King, you've got little Simba, okay? He has an awareness that he's going to be king. And as he's growing up, there's that scene where, like, they're on their way to the elephant graveyard. It's Simba and it's Nala, and they've got the little bird that's, like, supposed to be supervising them. And they break out into song, and he's like, you know, I'm going to be a mighty king, so enemies beware. And he goes through this whole song where he, that's the best I'll ever sing in my life. Uh, he goes through this whole song talking about when he just can't wait to be king. And he starts about, hey, like, when I'm king, people are going to serve me. No one's going to be able to tell me what to do. No one's going to be able to tell me who to be. I'm going to have all kinds of things just happen because I can't wait to be king. And as you realize, like, and as you're watching this, you realize, okay, Simba has no idea what a good king actually looks like. He's a little kid. All he knows is that one day he's going to be king, but he has a very immature view of it. He's, th he's looking at it through the lens of what can a king do? 
Like, what can, what can a kingdom do for me? And obviously, you know, all this stuff happens with Uncle Scar and Mufasa, and he's exiled and for years, and he grows up. And by the time the movie ends and he actually comes back to Pride Rock, and he actually becomes king and defeats Scar, he has a maturity. He understands more about what does it look like to be a good king. The fact that he was going to be king hasn't changed. The way he views what a king does has. He realizes it's more about serving the people around him. Now, we watch something like The Lion King and we get it. Or we watch something like we read the story of David and we get it. We see how all the pieces fit together. We see how all they all connect. But the problem is, is that most of us are not destined to be king. And the other problem is, is that we don't know how, how our life is all going to play out. We know what's happened and we know today. But we don't know the future. And so what often happens is that as God starts to work through our life, and we start to have this awareness, we enter into a season of refining where we start to feel like we are suffering and we have no idea why. Because we don't know what's on the other end. And so even though we've been talking about this, we say like over and over and over, God will take us through these four stages. And as we go through life, we're going to go through them over and over and over again. And God is going to keep making us more and more like his son, Jesus. We don't know what that actually looks like. So here's what actually happens for most of us. We have an awareness of something God might want to do in our life. We have a dream about what our career could look like, or we have a dream about what our family could look like. We have a dream about what God might want to do through us in our neighborhood. And we're like, man, I would love to be a part of that. And then as soon as we hit the refining stage and things get difficult, we bail. Because we're like, I don't want to suffer. And here's the deal, no one actually wants to suffer. But we enter into suffering, we enter into some sort of stage where God starts to work on us, and our instinct is to get out of it as quickly as possible. And so what ends up happening is that many of us stay stuck in life. We had an idea of what God wanted to do, but then we started to suffer, and then we decided, nope, never mind, I think I'll just go back to the way things were. And so we never, ever, ever really get anywhere in life. We're surviving but we're certainly not thriving. We're certainly not flourishing. And so for so many of us, we've thought that suffering meant bad and suffering meant avoid. So we cut it short and we stay stuck. But one of the things that we've been saying is that if you understand how God works, then you can begin to see how God is working. Now, last week, Matt talked about it beautifully, and it was super epic, and he tells the story of David and how David was in this moment, and King Saul was facing off, and David seemed stuck, and Matt set us up perfectly for what we're going to do today. If you weren't here last week or you didn't listen to the podcast, I definitely recommend go home and do that this afternoon, because what I'm basically doing is part two of what he started. And what we're going to do today is we're going to do a deep dive on refining, okay? We're going to talk about three types of suffering that almost every single person goes through. Three types of refining that God seems to take us all through. And not just once, but he seems to take us through over and over again in life. And here's what I hope. I hope that at the end of today, if you're walking through one of these, you'll have a bit of a better understanding of, okay, this is why I'm walking through this. And hopefully you'll have some tools about, okay, here's how I can keep going through this well. So we're just going to dive in and we're going to start taking a look at different types of refining that God does to us, different types of ways that God matures us and grows us. And the very first one is this. Sometimes God will walk us through the pain of healing. If you are a note person, uh, we got a lot of notes. If you're a camera person and just want to snap shots of these slides as we go, totally fine. But sometimes 
God will walk us through the pain of healing. Now, here's the deal. This is super, super, super important. And if once again, if you're a note taker, here's the reason God takes us through the pain of healing. Because brokenness that is not transformed is transferred. Brokenness that is not transformed is transferred. Now, let me put some real life application on this and tell you what this looks like. I grew up relatively poor. People are always like, what does that mean, relatively poor? I remember in middle school, I owned two pairs of pants. And so most of my clothes were donated to me from somebody else. I hated it. Could not stand it. For a large part of my middle school and high school years, my number one goal was to get a job that made as much money as possible so that I would never, ever, ever be poor again. Okay? That was my life goal. My parents did not have great budgeting skills. They never taught me good budgeting skills. They didn't handle money super well because they didn't have a lot of money to handle. And so I remember just growing up really, really poor. Now, I get married and I have lots of pain associated with money. So my wife goes and buys something that costs $6. And it leads to an epic knockdown, drag out fight. Don't you understand? I didn't know that this was like, were you going to do this? And she's like, it was $6. I had pain associated with the way I'd grown up with money. It had not been transformed. And so what did I do? I transferred it to her. My pain transferred to her. Most of you guys can probably think of something in your own families of origin where it's like, this was broken in my family. It didn't heal. And then I started to take it out on somebody else. God will take us through a season of healing so that what is broken or what is hurting inside us doesn't keep transferring from generation to generation. Uh, for a couple years, my wife and I were foster parents. And I remember one time we got a placement of two, uh, two children that were put with us who had been horrifically abused. And, I, and then we met the mom who had done this. And I wanted to be so mad at her for what she had done. And then I learned her story and realized she herself had been horrifically abused by an uncle. You had to go back, and I'm not trying to excuse what she did or I'm not making justifications for it, but you had to go back at least 40 years to understand the pain that you were seeing in these kids today. Pain that is not transformed continues to get transferred. And often God will take us through these seasons. What does this look like? It looks like going back so that you can go forward. What does this look like? You have to go back so that you can go forward. What does this feel like? It feels like sadness and anger. There's no way that you don't get sad and there's no way that you don't get angry. As I started to get like, surrounded by a Christian community in my early uh, days of marriage and started to go through some things like just financial planning and budgeting and stuff like that, like, that was not a, an emotionally neutral experience for me. Because I would think about back to my childhood and be like, okay, why didn't my parents do this? Or, you know, like, why, if, if this would have been around back then, you know, if they would have known that, maybe things would have been a little bit different or something like that. It was angry, it was sad, it was angry, it was sad, but it was necessary to walk through. Uh, I was talking with a group of friends earlier this week because we I was prepping for this message and I was just telling me, hey, give me your input, tell me what you see. And uh, this, this one lady was talking about, she's like, I grew up with my parents being divorced. And... 
my dad just was not around a whole lot. But then I got married and some things in his life changed and we had kids and all of a sudden he wanted to be a great grandfather. And so she's like, he buys my grandkids, you know, he buys his grandkids, he buys my kids awesome stuff. He'll take them on trips. And part of me is really, really angry because she's like, why weren't you there for me? Part of me is really, really sad because I would have liked to have been there. And she's talking about, so like, she had to make that choice. I could cut him out completely because of what he did back in the day and just not being around. Or I could let him be a part of his grandkids' life. But that's, that's healing. And that's not easy. And so sometimes God will walk us through these seasons because she's like, it's better that he gets to be a part of my grandkids, about of his grandkids' life, part of my kids' life. It's better that that's happening and good things happen, even though it's always a little bit painful, even though it's always a little bit sad for me. Sometimes God will walk us through seasons of healing, and we have to go through this and we have to face our brokenness because what's on the other side is better. You're a note taker. What does this produce in our life when God walks us through this? It's freedom from chains. Freedom from chains. If you're not careful, you can stay chained to your past and never get anywhere in life. You can stay stuck being chained to your past. Now here's the deal. I am not saying that at some point in time, the past becomes rosy colored and it doesn't hurt anymore and you can just laugh about it, haha. No, there's, there's a good chance that it will always hurt a little bit. But if you let God heal it and if you let God transform it, you don't have to stay stuck there anymore. Oftentimes this looks like you, you're gonna need a community around you. I've never met anyone who did this solo. Maybe if you're out there, cool, I'd love to talk to you and take some notes. But almost always, you need a community around you. You need people who are godly and love you and support you. Oftentimes, you're going to need counseling. You're going to need some people with some professional uh, skills to walk through this. But sometimes God takes us through the pain of healing. This was true in David's life. We've been studying the life of David. One of the great gifts that David gives us that still lives to this day is the Psalms. Uh, you can go through and you can find different parts of uh, David's life where he went through something like this and he wrote about it. And in Psalm chapter 34, verse 17 and 18, this is what David said when he was walking through having to deal with this. He said, the righteous cry out and the Lord hears them. He delivers them from all of their troubles. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. If you're someone who feels like you're going through a season of healing right now, Write this verse down. Put it someplace that you can see it. Save it to your phone and hold on to it. God is close to those who are crushed in spirit, or brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in uh, spirit. But maybe you're like, you know what, Jeremy? I get that. That's good. That doesn't really describe the type of suffering and pain I think I'm going through right now. So maybe this one is more you. Maybe for you, this is the second type of pain God will walk us through. It's the pain of tearing down the false self. The pain of tearing down the false self. And you might be thinking, what on earth does that even mean? Okay, luckily I didn't come up with that term myself, so if you don't like it, you can blame uh, other people. Here's what Pete Scazzaro, a guy who wrote a book called Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, here's how he describes it. He says, the false self is pretending, either consciously or unconsciously, to be somebody you are not. Defensive and superficial, it severely limits our relationships and our effective witness for Christ. Basically this, the false self 
is who you pretend to be and who you really, really hope everyone thinks you are. We all know this extremely well because we all have friends who are Instagram A and real life B. We all have friends who are Facebook A and real life B. Now, here's the deal. I don't put every single bad thing that happens to me on Instagram or Facebook, so it's not... This, this kind of happens naturally, where you start to kind of cultivate an image of, here's who I want the world to think I am, and here's who I really am. We've all seen when this goes really, really bad, too. Like, we've all seen someone who's like, they reach like the pinnacle of their career field, or they reach like, like you see this sometimes, like you'll see a pastor, and all of a sudden they'll be like, you'll hear some crazy, like they've been leading a double life for 20 years, and like it all explodes, and they get fired, you see them like, someone who's supposed to be like a paragon of virtue and all of a sudden you find out, wait, they've got three families and they've been, like, they're like, how did this happen? Well, here's the deal. No one starts out saying, I want to lead a double life. I'd like to fool everybody. But here's the deal. If you're good at creating a fake self, the reward is that you keep getting to do it. The better you are at being fake, the reward is that the more of your life has to be fake. Now, obviously, most of us are never gonna like embezzle $30 million or something like that. No, most of us, what we'll do is we'll just punish our family. We'll create an image that we expect our, our family to live into. And we'll punish our kids because they don't have the lifestyle and the grades and stuff that, that we wanna present to the world. You guys remember when you were kids and how your mom and dad would act one way at home and then when their friends were around, they'd be like, who are you? Like, we don't do that. Like, they're like, like, all of a sudden, like, like, you get punished for things that were usually normally okay because your parents wanted to present, like, this image of, my kids are better than this or something like that. We see it so clearly in other people, and we excuse it so much in ourselves. God has to tear down the fake self that we've created. And the reason God has to do it, if you're a note taker, if the, re- the reason God has to do this is that only what is real can grow. God cannot transform the fake you. He can only transform the real you. And the more time you spend being fake, the more time you, start, you spend presenting an image to the world that doesn't really exist, the more time you're disconnected from God, the more time you're disconnected from yourself. And so sometimes the most loving thing God can do is strip down and remove anything that you've been using to depend on that is not him. Um, what does this look like? It's letting your idols die. Letting your idols die. Here's what I mean. An idol is usually something good or something neutral that we've elevated into being the most important thing ever. There is nothing wrong with wanting to have a clean house and a good family image. But when that becomes more important than anything else in life, it becomes an idol. There's nothing wrong with wanting to look successful But when that becomes more important than anything else in life, it becomes an idol. And so what God will sometimes do is he will knock down our idols. The problem is, is that when we're super connected to our idols, this is painful. For God to tear those idols away is painful. What does this feel like? It feels like humiliation. Because this image that you wanted to give the world is no longer true. It feels humiliating. A guy named Paul Miller in a book called A Praying Life, he said it like this. Our wills are broken by the reality of our circumstances. The things that brought us life gradually die. 
Our idols die from lack of food. Suffering burns away the false self created by cynicism, pride, or lust. You stopped caring about what people think about you. The desert is God's best hope for the creation of an authentic self. The desert becomes a window into the heart of God because he's the only game in town. What does this look like in real life? When I graduated college, I graduated at the top of my class. Maybe I was like number two or three or something, but I was, I was, I was, up, I was up there pretty high. I graduated with a degree in secondary education English. I was going to be an English teacher. I was better than everybody else in my class. This is important that you understand this. In May, we all graduate and we start interviewing for jobs. My grades are good. I have recommendations from professors. I have, like, my student teacher gave me glowing reviews. I should have been the first person to get a job from my graduating class. We all start interviewing. My interviews go well, and they're like, yes, absolutely, yeah, blah, 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 and then you hear nothing. Now, May goes by, nothing. June goes by, I'm interviewing, and nothing. July goes by, I am interviewing, and nothing. And I'm like, wait a second, I'm seeing these other people get a job. I'm seeing dum-dums get a job. I'm seeing people like, wait, wait, how did they hire you? I'm better than you. What is this? This whole time, my identity had been built upon the fact that I am better than all these people. This whole time, I'd been working at a Dairy Queen. And I'd made it well known that I was graduating, and I will see all you losers later. I'm out of here. And they're all like, well, college boy, what happened? You're still working the same job we are. My prayer life skyrocketed. God, what are you doing? God, what is going on? God, why are you doing this to me? July goes by. August hits. School starts on Wednesday. It is Monday. I have no teaching job. I'm just like, okay, God, I give up. Like, whatever. Okay, this is my life now. Tuesday morning, I get a call from one of the very first jobs I ever interviewed at. They're like, hey, something came up. We remembered that you had a great interview. We really loved, we'd really love to talk to you again. On Tuesday, I go back in and interview. I get the job. School starts Wednesday. God waited until the absolute last moment because he had to get the pride out of me. I had built my life on, like, who wants to have a teacher that thinks they're better than everybody else? Who wants to have a teacher that thinks that, like, only smart people count? Like, who wants to have a teacher who only cares about the kids that are doing really well? Nobody. You want a teacher who cares for every single kid in their classroom. And that wasn't me in May. It probably wasn't really me in August either, but I was a lot closer to it. <laughs> you know, God had to smack me down and humiliate me. And it was one of the best things that could have ever happened. What does this produce in us? It produces freedom from masks. You can stop pretending to be something you're not. Or you can stop thinking that you're something greater than you are. When God walks us through this and when God does this in us, it produces something much better. David talks about this in Psalm chapter 20. He says, some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. They are brought to their knees and fall, but we rise up and stand firm. 
What you build your life on matters, and if you're building your life on something other than God, God will eventually tear it away, and it's the best thing that can happen to you. All right, third and final type of suffering that I think every single person goes through, and it's just simply this. The pain of maturing. The pain of growing up. Here's the reason why God takes us through this. If life is all about you, soon all you are left with is you. If life is all about you, soon all you are left with is you. Here's what that means. We've all seen that family where one of the parents was just selfish. It just always had to be their way. It always just had to be their thing. They never compromised. They never gave in. Their kids always had to do what they said, no matter what. Like, they're, they could, like you can't even choose which restaurant to go to. And you see what happens. And then, you know, fast forward 25 years ago later, they're divorced. Their kids don't want to come home. Their kids don't want to have anything to do with them. They don't really have any real close friends because they keep going through sets of friends. You know, they'd have a set of friends and eventually they'd all fade away. They'd get a new set of friends and eventually they'd all fade away. When you make life all about you, at some point in time, all you're going to be left with is you. This is what immaturity looks like over a long span. You get stuck and it's just about you. We've all seen this. We see this all the time in like, like, it's very easy to see in other people and it's very hard to see in ourselves. And the reason it is hard to see in ourselves is because we don't ever say, I'm being immature. We say, I'm right. See, it's very easy to hide immaturity under the mask of I'm right. Or we say, yeah, but. Yeah, I did this, but you did yeah, uh, but what about, yeah, but what about, and I'm right, are great disguises for immaturity. The reason I know this is because I have done this many, many times. For example, last night. So Kim and I celebrated Thanksgiving. Kim is my wife. Kim and I celebrated Thanksgiving, or not Thanksgiving. Why did I say Thanksgiving? I did that earlier today. <laughs> Valentine's Day. Celebrated Valentine's Day yesterday afternoon. So we put our son Axton down for a nap. We told our uh, daughter, Alicia, hey, when he wakes up, he's yours. We're going out. So, you know, we just spent the afternoon together, went and saw a movie, hung out, stuff like that. Come back home. And I'm like, okay. Now, normally, I'm, on Saturday night, I'm usually gone, hanging out with a couple friends, doing a game or something like that. So I'm not usually home on Saturday nights. So I give Axton, our son, a bath on Friday nights. I'm thinking Kim is putting him to bed, giving him a bath on Saturday nights because I'm usually not here. Well, in her mind, we had this arrangement where on the nights that I'm home, I put him to give him a bath, and on the nights I'm gone, she gives him a bath. But I'm not usually home on Saturday, so I didn't think Saturdays counted. So in her mind, you know, I'm, I'm sitting there, I'm watching the, uh, the NBA dunk contest, and it's like 7.45, and she's like, when do you give an accident a bath? It's Saturday, you're giving him a bath. Watching TV, what's wrong with you? You know, and she's like, well, no, the arrangement was on nights you're home. I was like, no, 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 no. On Tuesdays, Thursdays, and Fridays, I give them a bath. The rest of the time, it's yours. Now, here's the deal. I was right. I could have won this if I had really, really wanted to. I could have worn her down. I am really good at like arguing and arguing and arguing until she just eventually gives up and quits. 
But what would that have really done? Yes, I would have gotten out of giving Axe in a bath. It takes like 15 minutes to give him a bath. I would have gotten out of that. But what would I have really won? See, an immature person says, I'm right, and destroys the relationship. I learned, no, correction. I am still learning. I learn this about every week, and I've been learning it every week for about, like, I don't know, 30-something years. But sometimes maturing, sometimes growing up, sometimes being more like Jesus is just saying, you know what, it's not so important to be right. Because eventually, if I make it always about me, I'm going to be left with just me. What does this look like? It's recognizing the rotten core of selfishness. Selfishness on the outside looks good. You got what you wanted. You got your way. Beneath it, it's completely rotten. And it destroys whatever it touches. What does this feel like? It feels like confusion and uncertainty. Because when God starts to grab you and pull you out of a selfish lifestyle or pull you into maturity, it feels really confusing because everything you've built and everything you've known is all of a sudden wrong. Let me talk about the flip side for a second. Some of you, your problem is not that you're the jerk who's controlling. Your problem is you're the people pleaser who can never say no. And in the same way, you're not mature because you serve everybody. It's still an immaturity. It's just the opposite side of it. And so when God starts to mature you and says, hey, you've got to have some boundaries, it's okay to say no. It feels very confusing and uncertain because all of a sudden it feels wrong. Like, wait, I told them no, and that felt wrong, but you're telling me that this is healthy? And often as God starts to mature us, we'll, like the pendulum will swing back and forth one way or the other. If we've been a people pleaser our whole life, we'll swing over here into like, well, I guess I need to say no to everything. Or if we've been a kind of the, the controlling jerk our whole life, we'll start thinking, well, do I have to say yes to everything? It's okay. You'll figure it out. You'll, you'll settle somewhere in a healthy medium. But as God pulls us out of immaturity, you're going to feel confused. You're going to feel uncertain. And once again, this is why God gives us Christian community. This is why God gives us people to walk alongside us. The best thing that you can have is some people who are a little bit older than you, a little bit wiser than you, that can be like, yep, saw it when God did it in my life. That's what he's doing in your life. Here's how David wrote about it in Psalm chapter 1. This is what he says about just, just learning to be mature. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his day, day and night. This is what happens when you start to mature. These verses here. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. There is a life that brings life to you and to those around you. And it's found in building your life and building your root system deep into God's word, deep into your relationship with Jesus. Now here's the deal. Why is this important? I mean, granted, it's better to go through life not broken, not immature, and not fake. Or it's better to go through life healed, authentic, and mature. We get that. But what we have to understand is that this, there's more to the story than just us. Why does God take us through these kind of refinements? In Galatians chapter uh, 5, verse 13, it says this. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. We want you free from masks. We want you free from, um, we want you free from, what else did I say? 
Uh, we want you free from chains. We want you free from all of these things. You were called to be free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. What, what does he say here? Rather, serve one another humbly in love. God is calling us to go through these seasons of refinement because there is a world that needs us to be this way. If you're a note taker, the world needs glimpses of heaven. We live in a world that is selfish. We live in a world that is broken. We live in a world that is immature. We live in a world that is fake. It needs glimpses of something else. It needs glimpses of something that is different. That's who we are called to be. We are called to be a glimpse of something different. We are called to be an image of what heaven will be like one day. And here's the other reason that we have to walk through these refinements. And it's the second thing in your notes. It says, the weight of love. It is not easy to care for others. It is not easy to be someone who can show up and support and care for other people. Most of us, if we were honest, would be very, like, we would say, I don't think there's a lot of people in my life that I can depend on. Why? Because a lot of people hit refinement and then they quit. There's an awareness, but then they hit refinement and they quit. And so they never grow and mature into the kind of people that others can depend upon, and the world is suffering for it. We have to go through refinement. We have to mature. We have to become the kind of people that the world needs so that we can bear the weight of it. It's not easy to enter into the pain of someone else. It is not easy to enter into the needs of someone else. If our own junk is still all jacked up and messed up, and if our own lives are still so broken, we can't bear that weight. We can't hold it. But God says, I need to take you through this so that other people can benefit, and so that when you're there, the weight of loving other people doesn't crush you. Love is not an easy thing to do, and we're fooling ourselves if we think it is. For most of you, it's, it's not easy to get up on a Sunday morning and go serve in Kids City. It's not easy to get up every week and help assemble all these chairs, get this room ready. It's not easy to go out next Saturday and spend your entire Saturday morning uh, doing service projects at a school. It's not easy to love your neighbor. It's not easy to be friends with the guy at work who keeps making the same mistakes over and over again. And if we're waiting for it to get easy, we're never going to do it. And what the world needs is someone who says, I understand it's not easy but this is who God has called me to be. And I can bear the weight of love because honestly, God has taken me through some things and I can carry it a little bit easier now because I'm not so consumed with my own immaturity. I'm not so consumed with my own brokenness. I'm not so consumed with all my own issues. And so the best thing that we can do is to recognize that yes, refining is not fun. I'm not gonna lie to you. I'm not gonna pretend that it is. It is suffering. But it's suffering that produces something. It's suffering that makes us better. And it's suffering that allows us to care for and love the rest of the world. And that is why God walks us through it. And that's why we're going to walk through it again and again and again and again in life. Because there's a world that needs us to give a glimpse of heaven. There's a world that needs us to be a little bit like Jesus. That's my prayer for each of us today. So if you would, pray with me. God and Father, Lord, I know I don't want to suffer. I know I don't like it. I know it's not fun. 
And I know oftentimes I don't even know the reason why I'm walking through something, but Lord, I pray that you would refine me and I pray that you would refine all of us. I pray that we would become the kind of people that look like Jesus, the kind of people that are led by your spirit, the kind of people that can care for and love others well. And so, Lord, I pray that for each of us, whatever, whatever type of refining you're taking us through, Lord, I pray you make it clear to us the reason. I pray that you provide people around us who will support us and love us. And I pray for those of us, Lord, that have already walked through some seasons, that we would be the people that others can depend upon. And I pray all of this in your name. Amen. Thanks again for listening. Be sure to check out our YouTube channel, subscribe to the podcast, and download the Momentum app from your app store. See you next week.